Welcome to another episode of Ideas Don't Bleed, a comics podcast presented by Ashcan Press and featuring Matthew Rosenberg and the Supple Boys, Ethan S. Parker, and Griffin Sheridan. This is part two of our discussion with Vida Ayala. We hope you enjoy. You bounce around a lot in the Marvel and DC offices for a while, doing a lot of smaller stuff, and then where you really seem to land and connect is in the X-Men stuff and um, Wonder Woman conversely and those are things that um are the are those books or or are those worlds that you cared about beforehand so funny enough like two of the comics that i first wanted off of the spinner rack one of them was a wonder woman comic and one of them was an x-men comic with storm and bishop on the cover (laughs) um so those those have been part of my comics dna for a very long time Mm um and you know, uh, the X stuff was just, I, I was brought in to do one thing. And then like, there was just like, it was, it was what it was. Um, and I got really lucky and landed in New Mutants, which is yeah. if I was going to write any title, that's the, I want to write the weird one. Like I want to sure. write the one where they're just a bunch of like angry weirdos, like shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. out. Um, I'm not like, I love writing superhero books, but I'm not like that big events, mm-hmm. bombastic kind of writer. I, that's just not who I am. So if you're going to put me on a superhero book, it should be the weird one. Um, yeah. But with Wonder Woman, I like Wonder Woman is like maybe my third favorite character of all time. Mm-hmm. And all of the like Amazon stuff in general has always been something that was interesting to me. Um, and so to be able to work in, in that universe, in that office, I was like, literally, that was one of the places where I was like, whatever you have, I will take it every time. Will not say no to a Wonder Woman story. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the X-Men stuff to me connects because, well, because I'm queer and brown, but also because those stories to me are stories about not just external struggles, but internal struggles with identity and who you are and like mm-hmm. how you fit in with yourself, let alone with other people. Um, I've said this before, but I think that one of the core kind of, um, the core things about mutants that calls to me is loneliness. I think that there is a loneliness in being a mutant, even when you're surrounded by other mutants, even during the Arcoan era, um, where they had their own sex party island, right? Uh, <laughs> you can be lonely at a sex party. That's true. I've, I've been told. Yeah, I don't. Been there. <laughs> uh, but you know, that, that kind of stuff really appealed to me as the weirdo reading comics and, you know, being one of the only queers that was out when I was much younger and like all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, but Wonder Woman is about hope. Um, Wonder Woman is about love, right? Um, and that is something that's really important to me as a person as well, where like in the face of all of these horrors that she sees, she often doesn't react necessarily in a violent way. She will, she'll, she will do what she has to do. Love does not mean softness, but to her understanding and empathy um, is, is the core of her character. And so to be able to kind of write a superhero story with that as the North Star is always going to be really appealing to me. I think that's, uh, it appeals to me, not just as a storyteller, but as a person, right? Where it's just like, 
what are the real solutions to problems? It's not punching people. It's not hurting people. It's not punishing people, even if they've done, you know, like things that are wrong because punishment doesn't deter or change what has happened. You need to mm -hmm. stop it from happening, right? And mm -hmm. you do that through love and you do that through support and resources and, and community and all these kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that, that really appealed to me. And I was so happy to be able to just do lots of stuff um, on that side of things. Yeah. And then uh, I, I'm intrigued by sort of two things at, at your big two work that aren't those things. Cause that's like the bulk of your work is, is like Wonder Woman stuff and, and X stuff and New Mutant stuff. And then there's two books that sort of really stuck out to me as books that were like important, but fit don't fit that mold exactly. And one is uh, Morbius. Oh man, I love writing that book. <laughs> that, that's that's sort of what I want to talk about. Like, it doesn't like knowing you. Like, you can feel it in the book. It's a great book. It's it's creepy and it's weird and fucking a different yeah, take on Morbius. The and, hell out of that fucking book. Oh my right. god. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's beautiful and why why morbius like why are you drawn to morbius like why did you they offered morbius and i was like first of all it was one of the first times that they were like would you like to write a non-black character and i was like yes i would i'm going to show you what i can do <laughs> he's, but also, su he's super he's white su he's the opposite yes yeah, <laughs> there's true. whatever the opposite of vanta black is that's yeah. what morbius <laughs> is yeah. like, polar but also, like, I'm like a weird vampire-loving scumbag. Like, I, like, <laughs> even as a kid, like, one of my favorite movies as a kid was Dracula by Coppola. <laughs> oh. I'm like, vampires? Yes, I have multiple editions of the vampire book that talks about every vampire thing in existence. Like, I read much too early in my life the Anne Rice, like, vampire novels. Like, sure. that's just who I am. Um, and so to be offered a vampire, even if it's a science vampire, I was like, I will absolutely <laughs> to me my level of love for vampires is danny's love for werewolves like that's mm -hmm. i don't put it in my twitter handle but like it's fucking true i love <laughs> okay. um, but also too like he's such a sad boy yeah <laughs> and mm -hmm. i was like what can i do with a sad boy how do i get into the tortured kind of like super ultra dramatic mindset like how you know how, how can I really play with that? Is there room in superhero books for that kind of character anymore, right? Because he feels very, like, of a certain time. He's sure. Clutching his hair and, and not sweeping things off of a desk <laughs> and, like, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, what does that look like right now? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so fun. That was, <laughs> And also I got to write Spider-Man in that. I was like, can I, can I, can I have him for, like, like, a couple of pages? And they were like, you can have him for, like, half a book. <laughs> give me that yeah. peter parker spider-man yeah and i got to make up like a vampire hunter character it just it can't go wrong yeah <laughs> the the other book that i'm intrigued to hear you talk about and it's funny because i feel like we're on a s similar path but yours is so wildly different in <laughs> in one way in that like you're doing static and I'm doing Wildcats and both are characters, both are books with 30 year histories. Like it's the anniversary of both. Yep. They're both super important in terms of sales and expanding universes. And, uh, but more importantly, like they're the very rare superhero comics where 
you can pick them up and you're hired to write them but the lineage is so small. Like, it's not like yeah. if you write Spider-Man, you're like, well, these 8,000 other people before me wrote <laughs> Spider-Man comics. These, you know, when you do X-Men, even a book like New Mutants, it's like, well, there's a lot of people who've touched the title, but also these characters have been in a lot of hands. Like, the Wildcats have not been in a lot of people's hands. Static, even less. Very daunting. <laughs> and, but Static has the added weight of, I mean, obviously, like, I'm under the weight of Jim Lee and Brandon Choi. And uh, those are people who I have an enormous amount of respect for, one of whom is also my boss. Um, but Static is a whole different thing because of Milestone and what it means and and the legacy of Dwayne McDuffie and and the, the creators of Static. And, and Yeah, JP. Like... Yeah, JP, for sure. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you do that book? How do you... <laughs> you cannot fucking think about it i mean this was one of the things where like i was saying no to things because i was doing too much and they're like but what about static and i was like oh fuck <laughs> i talked to my wife i was like i know i said i'm not gonna say no to anything but like it's no. static and she was like no. <laughs> all right you gotta do static. it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it was like this was so for us by us this mm-hmm. was so and it was so important to me as a little person, right? Like the comics when they came out and I would get random issues because when you're young, you're just like, I don't care in what order I read these in and sure. where I get them. <laughs> um, Spinner Rack has what it has. Um, I'm lucky in that I grew up in New York City and I there was a bunch of comic shops that I could go sure. to, including St. Mark's, right? I would stock all kinds of like, you know, not just Marvel DC stuff. Um, sure. But, you know, there was also the TV show. I grew up on that TV show. I love yeah. that TV show. Like, come on. Um, that is a lot. Um, so I had to put that out of my mind completely. And I had to think about what it was about the character that appealed to me as a person, why I connected so strongly to Virgil, um, as opposed to other characters, you know, of a similar age and and whatever, um, and, and work from there, trying to really get at the core of the character and thinking about, you know, along with Nick Drip Rivey, who, you know, I mean, collaborator in the truest sense of the word, like, Mm -hmm just at all hours texting calling back and forth he calls like an old man though he'll just call without texting and i'm like (laughs) bro you're 30 that's not acceptable Um, but we really want that's a form of terrorism it's fucking saturday (laughs) at 7 45 p.m you're like nick go to to a movie like i just don't um but yeah like that you cannot have that in the front of your mind especially when you know Reggie and Dennis are, you know, still around and involved, like all of this sure. stuff. You're like, I literally, if I think about it, I will crumble into dust. Um, so, yeah, I just had to think about that project from a perspective of not not the fan in me, but the like that that vulnerable space of like why I connected to it. How, how do you balance doing the and I, this is one of those questions. Sometimes when you host a podcast, you ask questions because you're like, the audience wants to know this. And sometimes you're <laughs> like, I'm a creator and I actually am like really need to know this. How do you balance? <laughs> I have so much trouble in Wildcats, the the math of when to look backwards and when to look forwards, when to take these things to a new direction and when to be like there's all this stuff that people love and I need to acknowledge it and hold on to it and give it to them. Like when is it a greatest hits record? And when are you coming out with the new stuff? Like how do you balance that in a book like static? 
that's a really good question and a really good way to, to phrase it, talking about greatest hits versus something else. I think of it, I think you, again, another fucking Rosenbergism, where like you talked to me and you said at one point um, that like you don't want to be the karaoke cover band to, mm-hmm. you know, this other person that was coming yeah. on. So you're not going to do something. And I think about that. Um, for me, I, in this case, I'm really lucky. It was harder in New Mutants and I had to navigate it a, a, a more alone in New Mutants. But like in the case of Sanic, Nick is the guy that's like, oh yeah, remember this and remember that and remember that. And then it's me going, oh, well, hold on. Like, yeah. yes, we have to bring in some of that, but we really have to remember this has to be our own thing because otherwise it's not worth doing, right? Mm-hmm. They can just go read that thing again. They can just go watch that thing again. Um, so that makes it easier to kind of be like, that thread actually connects to the story that we want to tell emotionally anyway so we're going to bring it in this character represents this thing and we'll kind of prime people to think about this kind of you know whatever it is that we want people primed to think about um uh so yeah it's it's easier for me on static on new mutants that was it was insane like i I read everything um it's just i just read so many comics and i was like cool now that every voice in the universe is speaking at the same time in my head how do i but with that too i just had to remember that there's a reason that i was hired to write the book the things that i have to say the way that i talk about certain characters the stories that i like to tell and that you know that i that i end up working on those are the things that made you know, whoever it is that hired me want me to work on the book. Mm -hmm. So I have to put those at the forefront and then see how I can support all of that with, you know, with all of the canon that is, uh, that is useful. Um, And again, I approach it through character. Who are the characters that I want to be the focus? Okay, what are their core tenants? Great. From there, we build out all the stuff. Oh, cool. We have a little space for an Easter egg here. Um, in the last arc of New Mutants that I did, it was it was definitely a like uh, shaking hands directly with Claremont. Uh, it was a uh, focused on magic, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was there was literally sections that I was like, I'm just going to to directly touch on the original <laughs> yeah, like yeah. four issue thing. Sure. Um, and and it's, like it's hard not to that book is wild and leaves questions and changes <laughs> but also it's we, we want to go back to it we're drawn yeah, yeah. to it right and so my my sure. goal with that and the reason why there were so many things that i actually called back to in that arc me and rod like talked about this like extensively was like we want to make a full circle back to that yeah. with this arc so that you can read this and then read the original four and then read this again and get more context yeah. how do we do that we need these things and it was a little bit like a murder board <laughs> it was like <laughs> just me smoking like in the corner like all right like this is what we need um but yeah i mean the same with you matthew like you know i've read i think i've read almost everything that you've written um and when you're writing these books <laughs> It's true. So, so He's making stuff. a face for the including including versions of things that then got that, changed that, that don't exist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still own them, um, <laughs> and you know that's one of the things that I think you actually do well. Where you look, you're the one that taught me. Okay, you can't fit everything in there, and it should be something that makes you happy. Why are you doing this? Um, so yeah, you, ask yourself that in the mirror. 
go to go to Ethan's house and stand between the two mirrors and ask the multiple Rosenbergs. The, they'll give me different answers. That's the point of the mirrors. Well, one, one of them is always telling the truth, and the other one's telling me a lie. Yeah. There's another mirror on this wall that'll ask you a riddle. Why? <laughs> yeah. Listen, it's you, but I with didn't... a lion body. Like I just don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how I got in this room. But the riddles <laughs> are like mirror. the riddles are like. <laughs> bazooka joe bubblegum riddles they're not hard they're like the, right, thing, yeah. the thing you get on the inside of like the popsicle stick right yeah, 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 they yeah, don't yeah. Get you, you answer them and it goes oh and it's just like, <laughs> you're like this isn't it doesn't reward you in any way it's just curious mm. um yeah. the uh, i like this character um moving on from sort of the big two stuff uh, you um, you've always kept a foot in in creator owned and your own stuff you did the wilds and submerged and and quarter killer and first of all like do you feel like that's super important to you to have that stuff absolutely like, yeah without a doubt i mean the, the creator owned stuff really is why i wanted to do comics um i mean i feel really blessed to be able i mean i've already talked about it to be able to touch on these characters and in, in, in sure. that have been around for decades right like that's that history is incredible um but writing for me is about communicating with other people and and being in community with other people and so creator own work to me is really how you do that you can slip it into these corporate comics um and editors will often support that not always but often will mm -hmm. um not to say that you know these things are hollow at all like i i put as much of myself as i physically can into those but creator own work is more raw you are saying what you need to say, warts and all, and you have to be judged by that. Yeah. So yeah, that that is really important to me. Um, there's sort of two things that I feel like <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to preface this by saying I often tell people like this is the stuff I see in all your work, and then they're very confused and they're like, oh, I don't see that at all. So bear with me, and you can feel free to be like, that's not what I think. But there, there's two things <laughs> that I sort of see in a lot of your work especially your creator on work and i i wouldn't call it magic realism magical realism but it's it's something close where there's a there's a very grounded world that's just twisted in a certain way that's sort of evolved and um obviously you know you have a love of science fiction and and fantasy and all these things this is a very weirdly weirdly phrased question and i know that to me there's a very like a special kind of magical realism in your work that speaks to me a lot about you grew up in the lower side <laughs> of New York and and I grew up in in upper Manhattan and to me that's what the lower east side was it was sort of this like it was magical a magical place. place yeah i mean it was rugged and rough and sure. I'm the reason why Tompkins Square Park got cleaned up in the late 80s, early 90s. But like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think there's there's this like fantastical element to it of like a mix of of like creativity and artistry and hard hard drugs and uh, mental illness and 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 you know uh arts tourism and and poverty and all, all these like beautiful wonderful complicated sad things swirling together creating a neighborhood that i think is so in my mind is so vivid for it's sort of just this kind of 
sense that anything can happen that you understand the world and you understand the rules but there is a sort of slight lawlessness to it to to the reality of it do you feel like that has an influence on your work i feel like in a book like quarter killer submerged like i feel that so strongly first of all thank you um i it, it, i guess it is a weirdly worded question but i understand what you're talking about again like a lot of people see cities as soulless and mm. and everything is the same or, you know, just a blank. Um, and to me, there is as much magic on a city block as in the deepest, darkest woods. It just looks different, right? But like, we connect with where we come from in the same way that someone who comes from, you know, the Appalachians connects with their area, right? And we have our own lore, we have our own monsters, we have our own angels, we have all of this kind of stuff. We have our own art. Um, and the meaning is very contextual. And when people come in, uh, they, they're missing such big parts of that context. Um, and so one of the things that I like to do in my work is kind of try and bring that forward. Because I mean, the, the place that I grew up is gone. Sure. <laughs> it is completely gone. The church that I went to and was baptized in and whose school I went to for a few years was literally dug up and replaced with $3 million condos that yeah. no one can afford, wow. right? Like my, my area is dead. Yeah. I mean, it's changed. It's not dead. It's dead. What was is very different than sure. what is. Um, and it has its own life now. And I'm not trying to take that away. But gentrification is, is the killer of community, right? Um, but I want to preserve that as much as I can because there there was so much magic. It was even just like, you know, if you're someone that's interested even in just like graffiti, right? Like yeah. tomes have been and could be written about all of those things and what those tags mean and, you know, uh, who the people behind it were. I grew up in the neighborhood where there was just fucking Basquiat stuff everywhere and Keith sure. Haring and like, yeah. you know, like all of that stuff was right there. It was right around the corner from my block. Like... I lived, if you've ever seen Downtown 81, um, the building that he goes into, that is like his building, that was my building. Yeah. <laughs> I lived there when it looked like mm -hmm. that. Like it was just like a shelled out, bombed out, no door. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. It's not like that anymore. But there was magic in that. Sure. Um, and so I think that like, to me, I, you know, I, I do love speculative fiction. I'm a huge science fiction fan, a huge fantasy fan, huge noir fan, which I would argue is speculative because there's always kind of fantastical things happening in noir. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, it's, it, you know, like my writing is informed by that stuff. But, but like you said, primarily it's informed by the, the feeling of growing up in a place that is so vibrant and full of such different peoples, different languages, different food, different kinds of art, different, you know, sure. flags flying everywhere, right? Like all of these codes that outsiders don't actually understand. Um, the shoe thing is always really interesting because depending on who you talk to and how much money they grew up with, they think hanging shoes uh, means one thing versus another, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's like, well, you can't really tell me what it meant when I was there, but I guess it meant that for you, like, yeah. but you're not from here. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, in my work because I, I want to preserve as much of it as I can. I'm getting older. My memory's going, I, <laughs> I want to put that down, but I want to share it with people too. Like mm -hmm. I'm not a person that thinks that we should exclude people from the community. I think that, you know, respecting something is really important, but sharing is what community is. And so even though we may be very different, I want you to see what it, what my world looks like from my eyes. And I want to see what your world looks like, Sure. you know, and how, and how they interact and like, you know, one day we'll write that book that we're like uptown meets downtown, man. Like it's going to happen. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny for me because like, 
I mean, obviously the city changes and, and, you know, you meet someone now where you're like, I'm from the Lower East Side. And like, if they don't have a historical context of that, it's a very different thing than it was, you know? And I, I yeah, you couldn't park within two avenues of first Avenue when I was growing up, yeah, like, your car yeah. would get bombed out. Like it was not. Yeah. And it, I mean, I remember going to, you know, like I was a 14 year old kid going down to like, you know, ABC Rio on Rivington or CBGB's on the Bowery and like, you had to be prepared to run like you had to be prepared yep. to fight like you were going to fight or run not all if the you're time from there then you didn't have a problem if you weren't yeah. from there depending yeah, but on like, who you knew a, a, like yeah like a, a punk a young like punk kid coming down to go to a show like i was like yeah you you might have to fight you might have to run on any given night like and that's fine that's just what it is and like there's that doesn't exist in that neighborhood anymore but for me yeah. i have this like funny historical context sense because where I grew up, I just, you know, I was too young to be in the era of when my neighborhood was that lawless and reckless and sort of wild. But, like, I can see it. It's well-documented. It's like it, Death Wish is filmed yeah, six blocks. Yeah. Death Wish is six blocks from my house. Like, the Warriors spend a fourth of the movie, uh, you know, circling the train station that I took every day. Like panic and needle park is six <laughs> yeah. blocks from where I went to school. Like, and, but that's all seventies fiction. That's like before me. So I have this sense of it and there's still some of that there, but it, it disappeared. And it's like, well, what are the formulative works around my part of New York is like, well, the most obvious one is like, um, you've got mail. <laughs> It's like <laughs> I was gonna say Meg Ryan movie. Exactly. That it's you've got mail and it's like you know, I I I have a strong connection to that movie in a lot of ways and like I I that that's like sort of personal and I, I grew up with with one of Nora Efron's kids and you know was around when they were making that movie. But that movie's about my neighborhood gentrifying. It's about yeah. the literal gentrification of my neighborhood and it's really weird because it's like there's not a lot of romance to it. <laughs> There's not a lot of, and so for me at that age, like your neighborhood was the neighborhood that was exciting and scary and cool and and where you you imported be. your danger. <laughs> yeah, I imported it, and but it had a magic to it. It was it was magical to me. Like there's nothing there's it nothing was. more magical to me than than the Lower East Side at that time. And so when I read your work and I I feel that like I don't know. There's something really special about seeing that in your work and I don't know if that I just never knew if that felt literal to you like this is where I'm from or that's just something that you absorbed so I was just curious about that kind of in a I think that like you know that kind of growing up wherever it is if it's that raw like it, it does imprint on you like mm -hmm. the first time I saw someone die was when I was six years old he like bled out in front of me you know what I'm saying yeah. like I saw people OD all the time which is why I don't do drugs like you know things like that you know all kinds of stuff but also I you know I got to see things like uh, you know someone's electric wheelchair broke down in the middle of the street and so the dudes from the corner bar all got together and carried it over yeah. and then plugged it in inside so the person could continue on their way. You know what I'm saying? Like my grandmother was one of the Puerto Rican ambassadors to people coming into the city. Oh, where are you from? Who do you know? Okay, you need a job. This is where you go. Whatever. Yeah. She didn't know how to read or write beyond a second grade level. But like she she was the kind of lady that like she would walk down the street and you know, a criminal from another neighborhood would come and, and spot her and the people from the neighborhood would be like, no, you don't fuck with her. 
Yeah. You know, so that, you know, like that, that kind of stuff, like it, it has to permeate who you are. But I think too, like growing up where you grew up, even though it was like, you know, that, that real wild shit was like in the seventies, it was all still imprinted there. Like sure, yeah, you yeah. couldn't not be like yeah, yeah. you're, you were in the recovery period. Right? <laughs> like yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's also funny now because I still am in that point where I'm like, well, I grew up in this neighborhood and people are like, oh, I know that neighborhood. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't because it's like, you know, the cops, yeah. cops gunned down a dude on my block while I was doing my math homework, like yeah. uh, open fire on a guy who took a hostage. The hostage was the daughter of the bodega owner and she yeah. was killed by them. And it's like, I used to have to go to that bodega, like bodega on my other, other bodega was, firebombed like yep. there was still like real new york shit that we think of people of our generation will be like that's we're like oh that's normal <laughs> yeah yeah you're like that's not normal that's like when you tell a story about your childhood and people like you're like oh this isn't this funny and people are like oh that's abuse and you're like oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah yeah there's yeah there's a level of just like being that like latchkey kids running around yeah. new york city that like it's a different New York city. It's, it's, it's padded now. Like the, the sharp edges are padded and there's, there's child locks on everything. Well, um, and the mayor is selling it all off too. The fucking mayor. Um, He's a goddamn cartoon villain. Uh, uh, the, uh, I am impressed that someone looks at Rudy Giuliani and goes, I could do worse. I could do wild. Wild to is me. It? I said that to someone. I was like, wow, I didn't think I would live to see a mayor that was worse than Giuliani. And they were like, well, he was the mayor during 9-11. I was like, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. We could talk the, about New York shit all day. We could talk about New York shit all day. Um, yeah. The, the, going back to your work, the, the other thing that I, I see in your work and you talked about it in Wonder Woman, but I see it in everything. I see it in Quarter Killer and The Wild Has Emerged. Is this sense of hope and the sense of of belief in people, people as an indiv- as in individuals, in so, the individual good, maybe not the collective good, but the individual good. People are there's something to be hope, hopeful for. And you work a lot in in science fiction, and you work a lot in horror. And I feel like those are genres that don't give a lot of room for hope, that don't often speak to that. Uh, I and I'm I'm curious. Obviously, there are exceptions, and there there are prominent exceptions. But like, <laughs> how do you feel like your take on your optimism and those genres fits? Like, how do you feel like those things work together? Why do you feel like those things work together? Why do you put those things together? <laughs> I think that, I think for me, those genres give me hope. I think that I grew up watching people be good to each other, watching people be terrible to each other as well, right? But I grew up in a place that had very strong community. I grew up in a place that people had to look out for each other because no one was looking, the the structure certainly was not looking out for us, right? Sure. Um, And so we had to do that for each other. And it was just something that was not a question, right? Like my grandmother was a saint, my mother is a saint. Anyone needs anything, we're going to make it happen. And that was just what I, you know, those were the people that I were around. The bodega people helped you out. The people, you know, there were times in my life where I was really hungry and like embarrassed about it. And like, I wasn't going to say anything. I and mean, definitely like, you know, I would go into like the Chinese spot and I was like, I would count out how much money I had and they would just hook me up. They were like, yeah. next time I got you or whatever. Or like, oh, that guy paid for you. Like that was just Sure. that's that was real that's that's what you do for people and if we're going to survive as a species that's what we got to do for people um i don't believe in good with a capital g i believe in good with a little g but that's the thing that you have to do all the time right like yeah. 
It is, it is not, you cannot achieve good. You must do good all the time. Um, but for me, science fiction is, is, especially science fiction, but horror too, can be about that. Mm-hmm. Here are these situations, here are these worlds where there is something either structural or like a literal monster that is coming for you. The only way you're going to survive is to do for each other. Um, mm-hmm. I also like, I mean, I, talking about prominent, hopeful science fiction, right? Like I grew up on Star Trek, right? Like sure. I love Star Wars. I'm not one of those people that thinks you have to choose, um, you know what but, I'm saying? But you do. But you do. But I do. Um, but no, but I grew up on like the next generation, right? Like, mm-hmm. and Deep Space Nine um, and even Voyager, which is not nearly as good, but it's my favorite. Um, but like the, the unifying thing about Star Trek, especially next generation, because it is literally their thesis, right? Is you have to prove that you are worthy of existence by being good and continually trying to reach a utopian state. You will never reach it. Mm-hmm. That's not actually the goal. You must continue to strive. Right. So that to me, the best science fiction isn't necessarily like that thesis, but like operates with similar kinds of, of mechanics. Right. So like the, the most influential science fiction in my life uh, was the Xenogenesis series by Octavia Butler. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see a series that can f- seem on the face of it very hopeless, that's one of them. Right. Um, but one of the things that really struck me as a kid that the first book literally saved my life. It kept me from killing myself. It saved my life. Um, was that this character was going through literal world-ending stuff. She wakes up, Lilith wakes up, and her world is gone. It was obliterated by human hands, and she is taken onto this ship by these things that are so alien that it makes her body recoil. And she has to learn how to integrate with them, not just to survive, but to thrive. Mm-hmm. And that's the story. There's no big punching or any of that kind of stuff. It's about this woman first learning how to continue on after something so horrible has happened. And then also finding others like her and helping them to thrive as well. And that is her role, right? She's like this first mother where she is supposed to, these aliens are real scary. <laughs> and she has to get people ready to, to live with them and to be, you know, to have their own communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the thing that shaped my understanding of what science fiction could be when it was really like done with purpose. Um, so when I write stuff, I think about not just the character stuff, which is very important, but what am I trying to say? Like, why am I even bothering to write this thing? What is the question that I want to answer? Um, And what elements do I need to get there? And often it's science fiction or horror. Um, Jumping to horror, some of my favorite horror is about, you know, people in these situations where it seems so hopeless, but there's something in them that makes them want to survive. Um, And a lot of those uh, also too involve helping other people. So like, it's not the best of the franchise, I know, but Aliens is my favorite of those movies. It's one of my f- top 10 favorite movies of all time, right? Uh, I love the fucking Marines. I love all that stuff. It's the only time I'm going to say I love the Army. Uh, like, it's great. Uh, I have a lot of respect for I, f- I feel like a strong case could be made it, it, that Aliens is the best of the franchise. I mean, I can argue almost anything. Sure. <laughs> I have a degree in it. But, um, but one of the things that like really connected with me, besides the fact that they actually kill a bunch of them, which was a relief to me as a four-year-old when I saw it, uh, that they could be fucking killed, um, yeah. was that like this is actually centered around family. And this is you know a story about this woman who goes in to conquer her fear because she knows people are in danger and she is the only one with the special knowledge to stop this thing and then she gets there and it's a fucking shit show and she knows she's gonna die but she's like 
you know, there's a point where she could leave. She could escape. And she's yeah. like, no, there's a child and I must help her. I cannot leave her behind. That's not who and what I am. Um, so yeah, like to me, like, to me, those are the horror things that I um, gravitate towards is like a uh, storyteller. I do love a slasher. I do love, uh, you know, all kinds of other kind of speculative stuff. But yeah, to me, hope should be baked into those genres. And when it's done really well, that's, you see that, I think, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Definitely. So it's all about saving Newt. I love Newt. She's so spunky. I love Newt. (laughs) I was going to ask you more about sort of quarter killer and and stuff, but I feel like that's maybe a good place to to sort of tap out on this. I guess we would, I would just say, you know, what are you working on? What are you doing? I'm working on adapting um, a YA novel uh, from the, oh my God, was it the eighties? I don't remember. I grew up reading it and I thought it was great uh, into a OGN. Um, so that's something that I'm working on right now. I can't really speak specifics, but it has a lot to do with gender identity. It has a lot to do the original text. It has a lot, it's not just me editing it. In. Um, it has a lot to do with self-actualization with the pain of kind of knowing that you want to do and be one thing, but the access being barred because of how other people see you and how to get around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's like uh, like cool fights and stuff. Um so I'm working on that. Um, and then I'm working on Static um, with Nick Dra- Draper Ivy. Um, and season two is it's much more Nick driven. Um, I'm really here just to make sure that his vision is <laughs> is seen by the world and also to translate some of it uh, because I have more experience with uh, working with corporate comics and with uh, what it takes to get it across the finish line. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Um well, that all sounds awesome. I'm excited for more static. I'm excited for more unannounced thing when an unannounced thing becomes announced thing and then becomes physical thing that I can read. Um, but V, I, I just wanted to say, like, thank you so much for for coming on here and hanging out. Like, you are obviously one of my my oldest friends in in the business, one of my one of my closest friends, but also a person who, for me, is someone who I always sort of uh, I don't have a lot of the sort of what would so-and-so do little angel and devil on the shoulders. But you're definitely one of those people that like, I always want to try and do right by. And, and for me, like I want to do things that, that would go back to you and me sitting in the back of a comic shop and be like, this is cool. Like sharing stuff (laughs) together and, and seeing you constantly do that and making the things that make me go, this is fucking cool. Like, I'm just happy this exists makes me want to do better and so i just wanted to thank you for coming on here and hanging out and letting me pick your brain for a bit because uh you're the best you are getting back at me for being nice here earlier i see that. I know, I know, I <laughs> <laughs> no i i really appreciate y'all having me on i i'm a big fan of the show and also just you know it's really nice to talk to people that really give a fuck about this stuff you know like you know there's a lot of jokes and all that kind of stuff but like it's clear that all of you have a passion for it and you know that's really meaningful to me um and then matthew i mean like you said you're one of my dearest friends and any excuse to see you especially during such insane times i will take <laughs> even if it's through the camera so thank you well, for having me yeah thanks, thanks Peter. Peter. 
that brings us to the end of part two of our discussion with Vita Ayala. Make sure to check out Quarter Killer, The Wilds, and everything else they're working on by giving them a follow on Twitter at DefinitelyVita. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>